Hello, my field daisies. Welcome to the 11th episode of Daisy Days, the podcast. Today's episode is a long one. It is uh, over an hour, so we are going to do a quick, quick intro and then get right into the nitty gritty. So today's life lesson is also about procrastination. So it's really, really funny. I thought this podcast... I thought yesterday was Wednesday, and that's when I try to post my podcast, and so I was scrambling to get it posted, and then I realized it was Tuesday, and that really, I should really just take my own advice, which is to set deadlines that are earlier than the actual deadlines so you get them done. Yeah, so this this podcast is coming out on Wednesday, and that is because I thought yesterday was Wednesday. Um, And that is such a human error, which brings me into today's topic, which is virtual influencers, those CGI created characters that are living on our Instagram feeds that don't make errors like I do or any human does. And we're going to be talking about the dangers of virtual influencers, the future of influencing and the future of social media and even artificial intelligence. So stay tuned. It is a really, really exciting ride and I cannot wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's roll the intro music. Gibson for that wonderful intro song and hello again my field daisies. Today's topic is incredibly exciting to me because it is a technology that has not been necessarily really refined and around for a long time. It is something new, it is something um, that has never been seen before and that is CGI created characters or people that feel real that you can interact with and they respond to you in ways that a human would using artificial intelligence and the minds of the creators and so the the term that is being used is virtual being or virtual influencer so virtual being kind of comes from where I read the definition of it, was from Fable Studios. And so they are a technology company, um, and they also have a studio company as well that creates stories and VR, etc. But they define a virtual being as a character that you know isn't real, but with whom you can build a two-way emotional relationship. And I think that is a really good definition for what a virtual being is. It is basically a CGI-created entity um, that looks, that has humanistic characters and qualities and that are able to interact with you as if they were a real, live human being. And so Fable Studios, from what I can tell from their website, is that they create, um, I guess, stories that uh, are enticing to children. So they are very uh, G-rated focused uh, content. Uh, And in their mission statement, they said that they're inspired by this idea of enticing a child's imagination. Uh, In the video, they talk about their own childhood and how everything 
felt like an adventure and uh, some of them talked about their children one guy said his son he puts his whole soul into the playtime and how they children are interacting with people that no one can see wholeheartedly believing they are real and so the characters that they create um, are basically child-friendly in a way so one of them is eight-year-old is an eight-year-old girl named Lucy uh she is you are living in when you put on so it's a VR experience and when you put on the VR headset you are in her world as her imaginary friend Uh, she draws your hands uh, your eyes and the way that you interact with her changes her emotions and behaviors and the way she speaks to you so for example if you take away her stuffed pig she will become angry and they created this story called wolves in the wall which was a sundance 2018 selection in their vr category and basically you as her imaginary friend um kind of helps her solve the case of what is that noise that is inside her house and this um i guess is a really good way to kind of get a taste of what a virtual being is and the start of a virtual being because as technology advances it is going to become even more advanced so uh right now we sort of have this uh iot technology that we interact with um sort of um things like alexa and google home and stuff like that um And Edward Saatchi, who started Fable, he said in an interview with New York Times, or he was quoted by New York Times saying that eventually it will be clear that the line between a Michaela and an Alexa is actually very slim. So who is Michaela or what is Michaela? So Michaela Sousa uh, on Instagram, she goes by little Michaela, L-I-L, M-I-Q-U-E-L-A. She has a hundred, not even, sorry, not a hundred, a million, 1.6 million followers on Instagram. And she is, as they call it, a virtual influencer. So there's this less innocent side of virtual beings, and that is virtual interactive characters for adults. And currently right now, they are being used as influencers. So Michaela, she was a, let's just call her a being or a person or a girl, whatever. She was created in 2016. And for two years, she was online um, pretending or will just acting like a real person it was not known that she was actually a cgi character there were people that believed she was a real person um and that she photo tuned her face or something or that's why she looks pixelated etc and it was revealed in 2018 that she was a product of a secretive company called brood B-R-U-D, you'll know that I'm terrible at pronouncing things, but I think it's Brute. Um, It's a California business, and it's so 
mysterious and secretive. They've done no interviews, hardly any interviews with anyone. Um, the address that it lists on the California Business Registration is an address in Silver Lake, but it, that, that address is blocked by a lot of foliage and thick vegetation. And the workers who have to sign non-disclosure agreements said that the company actually operates out of downtown LA. So that is incredibly weird and incredibly interesting. And yeah, until 2018, uh, Michaela's creators, uh, they didn't let people know that that she wasn't a real person operating her Instagram account. And they orchestrated a publicity stunt to reveal her origin. Um, and that publicity stunt was incredible. I did not hear about this in 2018, but I did some research uh, today actually about what happened and it is insane. So in mid-April of last year, uh, the Instagram account Little Michaela, um, it got hacked, quote-unquote hacked. Um, and it appeared to be have been hacked by a blonde pro-Trump troll named Bermuda. Bermuda. Um, she's named after the Bermuda Triangle, and her Instagram name is Bermuda is Bay B A E. And over a course of about eight hours, she deleted all of Michaela's photos and posted photos of herself with threatening captions like you can you can't have your account back until you promise to tell the people the truth um blah 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 blah, blah. and then um this was so bermuda she's she was born like six months after michaela so she was born um on instagram her instagram account uh was born in september 5th of 2016 and then so they waited uh two years until she was around uh 2000 followers to do this quote-unquote hack um spoiler alert bermuda is owned by brood FYI. But yeah, so after this whole hacking scandal, that night she was almost up to 50k uh, followers. And, you know, her looks, she's this blonde, um, rich girl vibes, um, hardcore Trump supporter. She posted a photo of his merch as her ideal brunch look. She mocks liberal feminists like Lena Dunham, and she writes that she's proud to be a white woman. So she's the complete opposite of Michaela, this loved, um, 19 year old, um, girl who believes in Black Lives Matter, uh, this inspiring whatever influencer. Bermuda is like the complete opposite of that. And so after all this happened, Michaela got her account back. This is, remember, this is all a fabricated story, but doesn't it sound like something influencers go through and happen? This is, yeah. Anyway, so she got her account back and then she wrote uh, the standard uh, note post. She posted a photo from her notes app in iPhone is what it looks like. And basically talking about this is the hardest week of her life. And I'm sure you guys have noticed I'm a pretty private person, etc, etc. I try to be open and connecting with 
my fans, but yeah, anyway, so here, okay, so the end of this whole little paragraph is like, okay, here's the hard part, my hands are literally shaking, I'm not a human being, and okay, just think about those last three sentences, so the last sentence, I'm not a human being, but yet my hands are shaking as if I was telling a big secret. So just this text, this this context of this text makes her seem more real than she is, right? She's trying to empathize with her fans, with her followers, with people that are um, looking at the situation. This is a, 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 a quote-unquote robot CGI girl who has the capability to feel human emotion, which is not true. That is, that's not, that's not how advanced she is. And so, and it's now later revealed that uh, this is a totally fabricated sci-fi story that probably eventually will become a movie one day, but and with starring little Michaela, I I, I guarantee I'm putting money on it down. Hollywood's gonna buy this up. It's already in production. I'm betting money on it. Anyway, so this is her origin story. She was built in Silicon Valley by a literal genius, quote unquote, named Daniel Kane in order to be a quote unquote service, Ser- not service, servant. <laughs> service sounds more like a techno- technology product. Servant sounds more humanistic, I guess. Anyway, Daniel Kane, his company, they're not real. And then it was her later, it says that her, she was stolen by another company, quote unquote, Brood, the one who actually created her, but this is sort of this origin story that they fabricated. So that she was stolen by Brood. She, um, they put, they programmed uh, this human named Michaela Sousa. They programmed her memories, her mind, her personality. And Brood said they reprogrammed her to be free. And so this company, Brood, like I said before, they they are extremely secretive. Their workers sign non-disclosure agreements, and their their website is even even more shrouded in mystery. It is an actual Google Doc. It's a link to a Google Doc, and on that Google Doc is a few buzz-sounding sentences that really show Brood's tongue-in-cheek humor, I have to say. So the first thing that it says is Brood is reading War of Worlds on the radio and then reading War of Worlds on the radio is crossed out and then it's instead put, so this is what it's supposed to say, Brood is a transmedia studio that creates digital character-driven story worlds. And so for those of you who don't know what War of Worlds are, um, it's referencing this event that happened in 1938. Um, It was October 30th, so it was a Halloween special on the radio um, where Orson Welles did an adaptation of the War of Worlds that was a book that was written in 1898. So the broadcast, uh, it was completely fabricated, but it was interrupted by fake news bulletin saying the earth has been invaded by martians and you know throughout the broadcast it keeps on these these fake news bulletins keep on popping up and because of its the way it was 
I guess, broadcasted many of the radio listeners. And this is a time when radio was, this was the, the, the it thing, right? So millions of these listeners believed a real Martian invasion was underway and panic broke out across the country. And so it is incredibly funny that uh, Brood basically wrote that and then crossed it out, little strike through on Google Docs. And it sort of just shows this phenomenon, I guess, that they're trying to create in, in, in such, a, such a funny way, right? Because it sounds a lot like the hack that happened to little Michaela um, when Bermuda, you know, hacked her account and that's when Brood was announced, etc. So that is a very, very funny reference that they're making uh, that is applied to the 21st century of causing mayhem in the digital age so and then under that they have some questions so they're like frequently asked questions whatever Ms. Michaela real and their answer is as real as Rihanna it's funny um why doesn't Blocko show his face so Blocko He's another um, CGI-created virtual influencer that they made. He has 137,000 um, followers-ish on Instagram, and his all his photos he has either like a um, like medical mask, but like a like a street-style medical mask on his face, or he has his hand covering his face. And <laughs> they're like, "Why doesn't he show his face?" And then they said, "We're hoping it's just a face." So they're really, really, their their commentary on their, I don't even want to call them beings. I just want to say like their technology or their their CGI creations. The, 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 the responses that they give as a company is really, really um, like putting sarcastic humor um, that make these entities seem real. And so um, under that, they have a few, I guess, statements about uh, what story worlds are. So they said that story worlds, um, they're creating story worlds. That's what they said in their, I guess, first thing. And so they believe story worlds, um, that they're creating story worlds that have the power to introduce marginalized ideas wrapped in the familiarity of entertainment. And so I think that is just a fancy way of saying um, paid endorsements. Michaela, her being a musician, and basically, um, I wouldn't even want to say introduce marginalized ideas. I feel like these are just ideologies of the times. From what I can tell from their CGI create creations, they're not necessarily making um, statements that are very polarizing, I would say. Uh, so Michaela, she's a musician. Um, she has a song. Um, she has a YouTube channel. She has a Spotify. She's done music videos with really, really big artists. And so her, her, I think latest single right back has 780,000 views on the audio video on YouTube. Um, she's done this huge music video song with Bauer, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Bauer. Um, he is an American record producer of trap and bass music. You might know him from, he is the guy that created the Harlem Shake. So for those of you who forgot or don't remember or live under a rock, Harlem Shake was that meme where a person dances and then when the beat drops, everyone in the video 
loses their mind and dances really crazy. Um, in my uh, Patreon reference links, I'll I'll link some videos of it. I honestly, the Harlem Shake has not crossed my mind in years, and just rereading all about it, I just remember how insane and how funny it was. Like literally, everyone did it. Everyone did it. Celebrities did it. Commoners did it. It was a huge thing, and then it fizzled out. Anyway. So Bauer and Michaela created this song. Um, he created the beats. She is singing over it called Hate Me, right? And so in um, so there's actually a music video where Michaela's in it and there's people dancing around her. She's sitting next to Bauer, etc. And so some of the lines in the song is like, the way you hate me, hate me, hate me, blah, 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 that it makes me, makes me, makes me. I can't sing. So anyway, the, the, the lyrics are, the way you hate me, that makes me. It's pretty much the sentiment that they're trying to evoke. And so it kind of, like I said, like their marginalized ideas, quote unquote, is, um, I wouldn't say it's marginalized. I would say it is the ideas of kind of like the youth, maybe counterculture or the youth culture that is happening these days. The whole sentiment of haters gonna hate, the self-love movement, etc. And so I think that is sort of the first thing, I guess the first pillar of what they believe story worlds can do. And I think that's like the wrapped in the familiarity of entertainment. That just sounds like a fancy way of saying that these CGI virtual beings, virtual influencers are influencers. They get endorsements from big brands and they have music or acting careers, etc. Um Anyway, so they also believe that story worlds can create a more tolerant world by leveraging cultural understanding and technology. Uh, so I think this kind of goes back to how uh, Michaela is such a big supporter of Black Lives Matter. And they, um, so that's kind of a really beautiful sentiment. If it wasn't for the fact that they also created this character named Bermuda, who is an avid Trump supporter and not and and, and an all lives matter girl. So it it's I feel like this whole sentiment or this whole, I guess, mission statement of Story Worlds sounds sort of um gimmicky to me based on their actions because um they're kind of playing both sides, right? So at the end of the day, we live in sort of a consumerism society where business and money trumps everything. And so the idea that they created both of these characters makes it seem that they're trying to appeal to all sorts of advertisers, or maybe they were just trying to create this huge um, I guess publicity stunt, uh, with the hacking of Michaela's account, sort of like, you know, um, like war, like WWE world wrestlers, how there's always has, there's always has to be a villain and a virtuous character. So maybe that's kind of what they were doing. And cause you know, Bermuda is kind of like your ultimate, uh, definition of an internet troll. And so I guess, I don't know. I don't know um, if they're really trying to create a more tolerant world or more so just trying to make money and build buzz for their virtual influencers. Anyway, their last thing that they say on their website is that Story Worlds, um, they are a product of collective intelligence informed by diverse individual experiences. 
Um, so yeah, I guess that kind of goes back to the whole hate me song that Bauer and Michaela have done. Um, it really, really feeds on the whole idea of the world as a global society. And we are all experiencing, um, while different things, a lot of the same things that can really resonate with people, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, they are not the only company or the only people doing virtual influencers, like uh, diving deep and researching into this topic. I, um, I'm like shocked. I haven't, this hasn't been on my radar, um, because there are, it's just, it gets deep, man. So the next thing I want to talk about is different companies also doing virtual influencers and uh, kind of the dangers of uh, virtual influencers, the controversy surrounding virtual influencers. But we're going to take a quick, sincere shout out break and then I will be back to talk more about virtual influencers. So stay tuned. Our first sincere shout out goes to Amazon and its Fire TV sticks. So in terms of streaming media players such as Apple TV or Google Chromecast or Roku, I feel like Fire Stick TV is really good. It's about the third of a price of Apple TV and it works the same. So I've fiddled, I have fiddled with Apple TV, Google Chromecast, and Roku. I haven't personally owned any of those streaming media players, but I have friends who own them. And I have to say, uh, I like Fire Stick a lot. The only complaint I have is that the Amazon Prime content is um, featured heavily. But other than that, I mean, it has an Alexa, Alexa voice remote control. Um, you can, it's, it's really good. I really like it for the price. And Compared to the other ones in its price range, Apple TV is obviously the luxury product, but compared to Google Chromecast, which you have to stream off your phone, um, it doesn't really have a remote. And then with Roku, I feel like, I don't know, it's just it's just better than those two. So yeah, if you want to check it out, it's 50 bucks on Amazon, same Amazon Prime. It's really good. All right, back to the podcast. All right, so we are back to talking about the exciting and new world of virtual beings and virtual influencers. So there are companies creating virtual influencers um, that get paid endorsements from brands and collaborations, etc. But there are also brands and consumer companies that are creating uh, virtual CGI influencers for themselves to represent their brands. And a big example of this is KFC. So KFC, everyone knows KFC. They're the Kentucky Fried Chicken. They are a global company now. And they have the iconic Colonel Sanders, Colonial Sanders on every chicken bucket, every logo, logo, every restaurant has this um, this image of this white guy with the white hair and the white beard, he's kind of more heavy set, and that is uh, their mascot. Just as McDonald's has a clown, Burger King has a king, KFC has the Colonial Sanders, right? And so uh, just this year, act- actually, they decided to uh, reinvent him as a CGI influencer. 
And um, so they, they, they really wanted to capture his spirit, his eternal hustle. And so in April of this year, this new CGI influencer, Colonel Sanders, took over KFC's Instagram. So they did a whole haul of their Instagram with a nine post so you know how on instagram sometimes you can do multiple posts and it makes a really big picture on your on your feed they showcased a photo of the new sanders who is this silver fox he is no longer the heavyset colonel that um was it's on all the chicken buckets he is fancy he is buff and he has a tattoo of their new hashtag which is hashtag secret recipe for success and so they made a bunch of posts um all from this new cgi influencer and they show him on a jet they show him in joshua tree enjoying the peace of nature and meditation and in between all of this i guess character building posts are sponsored posts from their brand partners such as turbotax or dr pepper or the casper mattresses and so this social media campaign was covered by a large amount of um, outlets such as Mashable Food and Wine, Daily Mail, Yahoo News, Esquire, etc. Esquire, can you believe it? The Gentleman Magazine covering a virtual influencer. And so this uh, uh, new Instagram influencer takeover by the reinvented Colonel Sanders um, generated 500k likes, shares, and comments posts with the brand partners such as TurboTax, Old Spice, whatever, uh, received an additional 700k likes, shares, and comments. And yeah, after all this happened, they started using him. They still use him to this day, actually. The most recent thing that they're using him for is a Mother's Day um, promotion, I guess, where you can create a customized um, Chickendales video for your mom, which is basically the Colonel Sanders, um, a play on the Chippendales male stripper scenario. So... I'll let you look that up if you want to. But I really, really wanted to talk about their paid partnerships. So one in particular that really stood out to me was their partnership with TurboTax. So it is Colonel Sanders. He's sitting in front of a Mac laptop on, and, you know, on a jet, private jet. And <laughs> let me just read you this caption, okay? So the caption is super long, but it's really funny. Okay, so on the Eagle, aka the Big Chicken, aka my private jet, just finished my taxes and got a refund. Thanks at TurboTax. Tax day is coming up, so you better get on yours too, um, etc. And then it just talks a lot about TurboTax, and then <laughs> and then saying you can do your taxes basically anywhere from the comfort of your couch or waiting for a private jet. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> I don't know why this is so funny to me. And then, it, you know, and then they got tax experts and then um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I can't help. And then it talks about how Turbo Tax Live answered questions about his taxes. And he says, but I can't help you with your taxes. I can just answer important questions about chicken and life. Um, being willing to take good advice from experts is part of the hashtag secret recipe for success. And then it 
plays on the whole influencer gamut of a string of hashtags after your big post. And so the hashtags are like adult wins, tax day, turbo tax, hashtag success, hashtag positive, hashtag positive thoughts, hashtag, 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 hashtag. And so in my first episode of Days Each Days, I talk about how um, social media has become a really big business. A, like, I don't remember what the statistic was, but a large majority of hashtags these days, I want to say like a third or something, are branded hashtags. And so, yeah, for Colonel, the new Colonel Sanders to play upon this um, <laughs> whole Instagram. So the the thing about this that is so incredibly interesting to me is that these companies are able to mimic people down to the very societal, I guess, norms that, that influencers have. Um, just the anchorage of the captions and the the humanistic way that he's that he uh, aka kfc is writing about these sponsors the way he hashtags everything at the end it just feels so real and that he looks so real but he's not um you know and then there's more ads of him sitting on his casper mattress a brand that every influencer under the sun, a bunch of YouTubers are sponsored by Casper. He is on the bed. He is drinking Dr. Pepper. And, uh, you know, he's saying it's important to take time for yourself. And with the Dr. Pepper ad, he's like, I know I'm always telling you all to work to be the best you. And that's totally true. You should also be doing that. You always be doing that. But a big part of that is also taking time and space for yourself to be quiet and reflect and give yourself the space you need. For me, I like to sit in front of my favorite window, take in the view, and enjoy an ice-cold, refreshing refreshing Dr. Pepper. Take time and space for yourself is a big part of the recipe for success. So that is the caption for his Dr. Pepper um, sponsorship. And so it is It is just so mind-blowing to me that how much these companies are really playing in to the ideologies that are experienced today in our fast-paced society. A lot of advertising or a lot of positivity influencers are saying you need to take time for yourself and it would have been so cool and such a great advice if it hadn't been at the very end saying I am enjoying an ice cold refreshing Dr. Pepper. A drink that is so sugary that if you drank it every day your teeth would rot. So Sorry, that is a bit of a um, morbid statement, but it's just kind of these advertisements, we're, we're bombarded by them every day. So the, the advertisements these days aren't necessarily selling us a product. They are selling us an experience, an idea, the idea of happiness, of peace is no longer about what's in the Dr. Pepper, or what it does to you or what it necessarily even tastes like. And so that I feel is incredibly dangerous in this day and age of virtual influencers um, because a lot of brands are using them. And for brands, virtual influencers are seen as a safer bet rather than humans because they don't have to do a hundred takes. They don't have private life drama and they are this... CGI created ideal of beauty that 
is in one hand really impossible to obtain, but also it is aesthetically appeasing to our 21st century minds and it makes people want to buy products from these avatars that don't even use these products. Colonel Sanders doesn't have to do taxes. He doesn't know what Dr. Pepper tastes like, but these images are evoking that he does and that he he does pay taxes and that TurboTax is the best way to do your taxes. And um, so, yeah, what does this, this arrival of virtual influence, what does this mean for the flesh and blood influencers? So a lot of people are saying that avatars are a future of storytelling brood really really plays into this idea of creating story worlds and um but i don't think that means this is the end game for flesh and blood influencers real people influencers and emily ward she is a co-founder of the global influencer management agency uh shine influencers she says that there is nothing new to really worry about. And I think this is a really interesting sentiment. Um, basically, her quote is, virtual influencers are no different to other characters who have existed in our media and social space in the past. Real life influencers will still have to continue to shape their unique positioning in the landscape to remain competitive and capture true followership. Same goes for creators behind virtual influencers. And so... There is this real desire, demand for authenticity in this influencer realm. This, 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 this YouTuber culture society where you see people and their daily lives and you empathize with them, you relate to them, you are attracted to their authenticity. This is something that virtual influencers lack, that they are desperately trying to create with these witty captions, these incredibly realistic CGI uh, pixels, whatever, creations. They are trying desperately to do this. And so I don't think a takeover of Instagram by solely virtual influencers is going to happen. They are just going to be integrated into this cluttered and competitive influencer space, a space where everyone and anyone can be an influencer as long as you have internet connection and a smartphone. And so, yeah, um, I just want to talk really, really quickly about the dangers of virtual influencers. And so the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, acknowledged in a statement that it hasn't yet specifically addressed the use of virtual influencers, but said companies using the characters for advertising should ensure that, quote unquote, any claims communicated about the product are truthful, not misleading, and substantiated. And so in all of these Instagram uh, profiles of these virtual influencers, they say that they are a virtual being, that they are, you know, that nowadays they have to say that they are not real people. And this wasn't necessarily the case in the past. So there was this story, um, this really notable story about Shidu, Shudu, Shudu? Um, it is an African-American virtual influencer who is widely considered to be the fir- world's first digital supermodel. And that is her Instagram bio. 
And it's kind of um, easy to see why because she is the most humanistic out of all of the virtual influencers. So if, when you look at her, she looks so real. Like little Michaela, while she has a million and a half followers, whereas Shudu doesn't nearly have that much. I want to say she has like 160 or some in the 100K range. Um, Michaela doesn't really look that real. Um, she definitely looks like an anime character or a character you'll see in like a high high def video game or something. Shudu, on the other hand, like her videos, her photos, they look incredibly real she blinks like a real person she moves she fidgets like a real person and so she was created by london-based photographer and digital artist cameron james wilson and so she has this flawless skin long limbs dark dark skin and the controversy that was surrounding her was that Fenty Beauty which is owned by Rihanna who as brood comments is um Michaela is just as real as Riri Rihanna um bless her soul um but yeah so she is the owner of Fenty Beauty it is her makeup line hugely popular makeup line their highlighters are really really good um but yeah she the Fenty Beauty their Instagram reposted a photo of Sudu modeling in in their saucy really orange lipstick and um this caused her profile to Sudi's profile to skyrocket in followers and likes but then people began to question whether she was a bit too perfect um, to be a real human. And then Wilson had to uh, reveal the truth that she was in fact a CGI-created virtual being. Um, he admitted that she was a figment of his imagination. And he updated her Instagram bio to world's first digital supermodel. But... That didn't really that didn't really stop the backlash. What people were really really angry about was the fact that this white man who created this African American model, who is still running her Instagram account, who is still getting I guess campaigns or deals or whatever, the fact that she is getting the profit um, that a real life African model, African American model or black model would have quote-unquote been able to get this money is instead going to Cameron James Wilson and so yeah it's a bit problematic it's a bit controversial about how um, this demographic who remains severely underrepresented in the fashion and beauty industry is um, being I don't know, is is being overtaken by this virtual character who represents them but is not real, who doesn't really represent them. And it is interesting that Fenty Beauty did repost her, you know, Sudo's model, um, modeling photo of the lipstick because Rihanna really, really tried to be inclusive, especially with her foundation line, especially really, really trying to... Um, accommodate and include um, people with darker complexions, something that makeup companies have really, really been lacking. And so the fact that they did this was very, very controversial. 
And this is not the only case of controversy. So there, the, uh, the I guess the most recent thing, the reason why I even started looking into virtual influencers was um, little Michaela and Bella hated, hated, Gigi hated, hated, you know who I'm talking about, the supermodel. Um, they did a Calvin Klein video advertisement uh, last month, May, around May, uh, middle of May. And in the video, there is a brief kiss between Michaela and Bella, and it was deemed a tone-deaf queer bait ad campaign. All right, let's break that down. Okay, so basically, Bella, she is identifies as straight. She's heterosexual. And the fact that she was sharing a kiss with Michaela, who is not a real person, who has no necessarily real sexual identity or feelings or emotions. The fact that they did a same kiss thing between these two um, seemed very, very clickbaity in terms of sensationalizing the LGBTQ community and really fetishizing the lesbian community. So this is a well-known trope that has been cir- like circulating around Hollywood and then the adult porn industry, etc. How I Met Your Mother is really bad of- about it. I One of my favorite shows, but they're really bad about sensationalizing lesbian culture where Barney, who is the playboy of the group, who um, is always, whenever a girl has to do a kiss, he always wants to film it. Even in the last season, um, when he is unconscious and then Lily and Robin have to try to find a way to wake him up, they try to do a kiss and that's the thing that wakes him up. So this idea that straight men are into lesbians and into this fetishizing of their relationship and their needs, the idea of you can turn a lesbian straight, it's so hot to have whatever, etc. Calvin Klein, they it sort of promoted this idea and used this lesbian trope, this idea that two girls making out is incredibly attractive, even if they aren't necessarily lesbians. They really <laughs> clickbaited, quote unquote, queer baited um, their audience and people who love Calvin Klein, which is incredibly interesting because their whole campaign is about speaking your truth. And that was not a truthful video. It was queer bait. The idea of queer baiting, um, this has, this has been something, I guess, a bit new. The clickbait has been around for a while, but the, the word queer baiting. So I Google word searched this. So if you don't know, you can Google word search certain phrases or certain words, and it shows you their peak popularity or their popularity over time um, when people Google search these words or phrases, right? And so um, I did queer baiting. And so if it reaches a value of 100, that is its peak popularity, the most popular it's ever been Google searched. And that happened um, literally a week after this Calvin Klein campaign went out. So it's hard to say exactly what triggers this, um, you know, this word searching, but it, it is highly correlated with this Calvin Klein campaign. And so there was a lot, a lot of backlash 
for this video to the point where Calvin Klein had to issue a public apology um, the next day. So they said, we understand and acknowledge, acknowledge how featuring someone who identifies as heterosexual in a same-sex kiss, same kiss could be perceived as queer baiting. As a company with a long-standing tradition of advocating for LGBTQ plus rights, it was certainly not our intention to misrepresent the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, but the video is still up. It's still getting views. It's still getting traction. Sort of maybe like shock advertising, whatever. They haven't taken down the video yet. I'll include it in my link for my Patreon um, subscribers, <laughs> which I have none of right now. But if you want to join my Patreon, patreon.com slash daisyishdays. I do have a lot of cool prizes if you want to dive deeper with me into my podcast and support my creative endeavors. All right, that's the second sincere shout out, plugging my own stuff. <laughs> okay, so let's wrap this up in a nice little bow as I like to do. Virtual influencers are not going away. Uh, just this past March, One Second Incorporated, which is a company focused on fabricating projects in virtual and reality space, has developed Japan's first male virtual influencer named Liam Nikuro. Uh, Liam has 29 posts and just under 9,800 followers. So the producer of the Liam project said that Liam may be virtual, but they are aiming to create content that is just as fascinating and cool as what his real counterparts have to offer and to entertain people all over the planet. Um, yeah, so he is set to work in fields of music and fashion and entertainment. And um, he will be trying to, as the company says, um, produce innovative, creative content in combination with artificial intelligence. So this is happening. It's not going away. But I don't think this is necessarily the end of flesh and blood influencers. In fact, I don't think it's going to be much different than competing with other influencers. Virtual influencers, while they may be digital, um, they do have one flaw that real influencers have. People... Real people have the advantage of authenticity. So these virtual influencers, while they can pretend to be human as much as they want, they can strive to be as human as possible, but at the end of the day, they are not. And while this isn't necessarily quote-unquote brand-friendly or brand-safe, people respond to people... Um, more than they do something that is digital and something that they know is not real. And there's this discussion that the younger generation is going to be susceptible to these virtual influencers. And to a certain age, maybe yes, but I do think people underestimate the Gen Z generation. They are smarter and more tech-savvy than we realize. Even though Michaela did not say she was a virtual influencer for a very long time, people were still leaving comments and commenting that she seemed unreal. And I think now that virtual influencers are required in their bio or somewhere to state that they are, in fact, CGI creations, I think this is going to lend... Um, more of an 
upside for real influencers because people will know that they are real and that virtual influencers are not. And there is, but there is one caveat. So while I think Gen Z won't be as influenced in terms of paid endorsements and advertisements from virtual influencers, I do think they project these impossible beauty standards on not just Gen Z, but our entire society. Uh, there is yet to be a plus size virtual influencer. And I say yet, because if this trend continues, I have no doubt there will be plus size virtual influencers. And I hate, I hate the word plus size as if, as if that size is extra, like extra large to me just seems, um, kind of offensive in a certain way, especially because, um, this this notion of being skinny, of being a certain size, is so ingrained in our society and our ideology. I, I don't think that virtual influencers are the ones spurring or the ones creating this these impossible beauty standards. This has been around for a very long time. The idea that there is an ideal weight for women or even an ideal look for men. And I think it is very dangerous that these boardrooms, these companies, these executives that are creating these virtual influencers, um, while Brood is shrouded in mystery, their employee photos that they've released so far, a lot of the major, a lot of the ones in charge of Michaela um, are men. And the idea of Shudu being not only created by a man, but a white man, someone who he he's creating someone that he doesn't identify with at all in terms of sexuality or of um, race or anything. And so this is the danger, I think, of virtual influencers is the fact that those in charge of making them are not living the stories that these virtual influencers are. They're not living the identities that these virtual influencers are. So like, their notion and their idea of beauty is unrealistic. It's not what people look like. I just hit my table. I got so heated. But yeah, it's not what people look like. And the idea that we are looking at these images, these computer-generated images, and we are thinking that, and they look so realistic, that we think that this is what we're supposed to look like. This is what we're supposed to strive to be. And if we are not up to that standard, then we are less than. And that is the danger of virtual influencers. And I hope, because like I said before, that this space is not going to go away. This is going to continue to happen. And this might even transition into happening in our smart home devices, such as Alexa or Google Home. Soon, their voice is not only going to sound real, but this device is going to look real. And I just, I can only hope that the people in charge of creating these avatars, these, these, um, humanistic creatures that there are um, diversity in terms of the developers, in terms of the boardroom, in terms of those who are in charge. 
these people, they need to be diverse in terms of sexuality, gender, race. They need to come from different paths of life. So when these virtual beings are being created, all voices are being heard. And that is, I guess, my main point of this whole podcast episode is sort of a call to action to these companies like Brood that are, or One Second, that are creating these virtual beings. I just, the only thing I can ask of, because I know this is a wave that I cannot stop, the only thing I ask of these companies is to hire people that can offer different inputs in terms of what these uh, virtual beings look like, what they're saying, what they sound like, and hopefully they can be integrated into our society in a positive way. (laughs) That's it. Okay, so in terms of let's just do a quick media obsessions, um, I really, really like Taylor Swift's new song. It is so good. You need to calm down. Love it. Love the music video. Hannah Hart was in it. The Queer Eye Boys were in it. It it is just an amazing, not only well-produced and directed music video, but also a great message as well in terms of accepting of the LGBTQ community and accepting of people who may not be like you. And also the end of Taylor Swift's music video where, um, so Katy Perry is in it. They, they're, it's notoriously known that they have some sort of beef. And then, so Katy Perry at the end of the music video, she's wearing her hamburger outfit from the Met Gala. And then Taylor Swift is in a French fry outfit what is this world that we live in? Lordy. Okay. Anyway, so they hug at the end. So it's just sort of this beautiful message of acceptance and not being a troll on the internet. Um, and also Katy Perry's new song is amazing. Um, what is it called? Something about being over. You guys have probably heard it. If not, then you will hear it on the radio soon. That song is also really good as well as the music video. It kind of harkens back to old school Katie and I love old school Katie. Uh, in terms of books, uh, I just recently got Grace's Guide, um, The Art of Pretending You're an Adult or something like that. Uh, Grace Helbig, she's a YouTuber, love her to death. I've, her book is, they've been out for years, but they were on a sale on Amazon, so I got that. I got Mamrie Hart's second book. Her first book is amazing, You Deserve a Drink. She tells, she's a great writer, she tells a, a lot of really, really good stories from her past, and I I can't wait to read her second one. She is laugh out loud, funny and relatable and very punny, which is my type of humor. Um, what else? Oh yeah. Okay. So in terms of YouTuber news, I don't know if you guys know who this is, but Dan Howell, I, he, his YouTube name is Dan is not on fire. I loved him. I loved him so, so much in the past and he hasn't really been posting as many videos as he used to. So he's kind of fallen off my radar, but then he released this, uh, video, this 45 minute video actually saying that basically he's gay and it was his coming out video. And what I really liked about this coming out video was it, it, it was very Dan in the fact that, um, 
it wasn't like your typical coming out video. I, I love all coming out videos because I think the stories are so beautiful and so strong and so amazing. But Dan really made his a production. He had editors, a production team, lighting, whatever. And he basically told his whole story of his life and how he, as a 27-year-old, now feels comfortable to admit this semi semi comfortable he prefers the um the i guess label he has a whole chapter about labeling and how um you know society kind of wants these labels and um he's queer is what he really feels comfortable with identifying with um but yeah and then it's just so cool like each chapter had like a different color and the different color like shown on the side of his face it was it was amazing it it it, it was the fastest 45 minutes of my life it was such a great thing and I've been binge watching him and Phil and just reliving the olden days of my obsession with Dan Howell like I remember I want to say it was Myst Mystical Morning I think they did some sort of YouTuber competition way back in the day don't even remember what the prize was but I know like Grace Helbig was in it um, maybe the Vlogbrothers were in it as well, but I remember, like, I remember religiously, because I think, like, fans had to post comments or, you know, tweet or something to get these creators to win, and I remember being so Team Dan. He ended up winning that competition, and I'm just so happy for him, I'm so happy that he can live his truth, that he feels strong and comfortable enough to, to be himself and to, and, and just, I... I commend every LGBTQ plus advocate um, um, just because their stories, um, I feel, really, really help those who are still on their journey of coming out. Um, I think we live in a very uh, transitional period in our society where gay rights are finally being more accepted and less taboo. Um, I Dan was talking about how when he was going to primary school, how the word gay was used as a derogatory term. And I remember that as well. People would just throw that word around and equate it to being stupid or dumb or lame. And I don't think, I think we are more of a sensitive society now and we've, or just come to realize that that's not okay. And so, yeah, Dan, commend you. So happy for you. Cannot wait for your next video. And anything else? I'm watching The Amazing Race tonight. Uh, Tyler Oakley and Corey Cool, two other amazing gay boys, are um, they're top five. They're in the top five at The Amazing Race, and I am still religiously watching it. It is my Game of Thrones, and I will be watching it <laughs> literally in the next two hours after I post this podcast. So um, thank you. Thank you guys for sticking with me, y'all, you guys, you all. Thank you for sticking with me. And um, as always, you can stay tuned after the outro song to hear me recite a poem. But until then, love y'all. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a daisyish day. Hello, my poetry enthusiast field daisies. 
So today's poem is very, very fitting for this episode because it is talking about things and how when we grow lonely, we give the clocks faces, chairs, backs, um, shoes, tongues, and I think this is very fitting in terms of new technology these days and voice... um, home smart home devices like alexa and google home and 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 then honestly virtual influencers and how we are literally giving these pixels humanistic qualities so without further ado things by liesel Mueller. what happened is we grew lonely living among the things so we gave the clock a face chair a back, the table four stout legs which will never suffer fatigue. We fitted our shoes with tongues as smooth as our own and hung tongues inside bells so we could listen to their emotional language. And because we loved graceful profiles, the pitcher received a lip, the bottle a long slender neck. Even what was beyond us was recast in our image. We gave the country a heart, the storm an eye, the cave a mouth, so we could pass into safety. <laughs>